I'm going to start again completely. Okay. <laughs> right. okay. Welcome, dear listener, to Season 2, Episode 7 of Weekend at Crombies. Ah, oh, that's rubbish. Right, okay, one more. One more. <laughs> Welcome, dear listener, to Season 2, Episode 7 of Weekend at Crombies. And tonight, or today, or this afternoon, depending on when and where you're listening to this podcast, we'll be discussing Carrie Pilby. Oh, we got there. <laughs> there was a moment halfway through then when I think I messed it up a bit. Okay. I pulled it back. Excellent stream of consciousness. Right, uh, let's stop there and see how we did. Welcome, dear listener. So, it's July. It's uh, the eve of the hottest day of the year uh, so far. I've had a cold shower and I'm sitting in my vest and my pants. Um, and my name is James Evans Esquire. Um, I am very excited to be talking about the life and times of Keith Chegwin's erstwhile wife, Maggie Philbin, for this episode of uh, Weekend at Combis, um, chosen by my esteemed colleague's fair wife this evening. Indeed. Uh, my name is Hugh. I think the influence of Kierkegaard on Camus is underestimated. I believe Hobbes is just Rousseau in a dark mirror, and I truly believe, with Hegel, that transcendence is absorption. And on that bombshell, um, I mean, that's Maggie Philbin for you, isn't it? <laughs> we should... We should we should come clean. We will be watching the movie Carrie Pilby. We have, on many occasions, not got the name right. It's, and I, I've, it's written down on my Weekend at Crumbies notepad, very yeah. large letters, so I can try and get it right most of the time. So Carrie thinking, Pilby. Yeah, in my head. I mean, it's not the most memorable of names, is it? Or it's just a really... I don't know why it's a complicated name to it's remember. It's no Forrest Gump. No, it isn't. No, it's... Yeah, it's all a bit of a tongue twister. Like, I've called it Karen Philby. Carrie Philby, Carrie Pilby. I get the and Philby a lot. It feels like it should be a Philby. Yeah, Phil, yeah Pilby doesn't sound right, does it? Philby yeah. sounds better. Yeah. Karen, I, I, Karen Philby. Karen Philby, yeah. But they should probably not criticise the movie too much on the fact that we can't get the name right. We are, we are watching Carrie Pilby, Harry which Pilby. was indeed uh, selected in an unconventional way, more of which in the, the, the latter section of our movie. Yeah. Um, but with, without further ado... I'd like, to, I'd like to thank your wife, Hugh. You would. Yes. That sounded a bit threatening, didn't it? You you emphasised the thank a lot, as if you were brandishing something heavy at the time. Yes. (laughs) On that bombshell, let's get into it. So, um, we'll begin with, as we always do, the synopsis. So, uh, we begin with Carrie Pilby, who is a a 19-year-old child prodigy, um, who who we see struggling through New York. Actually, opens on New York, which we'll come to later, is, is shot beautifully. Um, so she, she is struggling through the city of New York with a large uncooked turkey in her arms, which she dumps on the desk of her psychologist, played by Nathan Lane. Um, and th- she is, again, seeing the psychologist, largely because she's a child prodigy who ended up skipping so many years in her education, she is essentially 
four years ahead of her peers and has got you know sort of social issues because of that because she never actually had to hang out with people her own age and is a bit should, recluse. Should point out, yeah, should point out as well. Although she's nineteen, we're not describing her as a child prodigy because she you know she's nineteen. She was a child prodigy. Yeah, it's hard she, to describe. But she was a former child prodigy. She doesn't do yeah. anything prodigious now. She she no. sits in her apartment reading lots of books. Um, and yeah. she's not there like um doing the uh, what was it the. Uh, she didn't write on the wall in chalk pen. That's what they on the window. She, she was writing on the window in chalk pen long equations like Goodwill Hunting. That would be demonstrably prodigious. But yeah, she's, she's not, not doing any of that. She, she she's just she just um, talks a lot and, and claims to read lots of books. We'll come to I mean, that she's too. She's not even doing the Times crossword, is she? Really? She's not. <laughs> How could you be shown to be clever if you're not drawing on the window with a chalk pen? Yeah. Long well, equations that don't make any yeah. sense. That must mean that that my son is incredibly clever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he, he may have beaten the odds. <laughs> As we were, the uh, the uncooked turkey has landed on Nathan Lane's desk. Um, so yes, so Carrie Pilby was a child prodigy, is now 19 years old uh, and sort of bearing the scars of having th- this accelerated growing up and also um, just having this enormous brain that, that um, is always firing off on things. Um, and Nathan Lane, I believe he gives her a list of sort of normal things to do to ground her, involving getting a pet, going on a date, um, yeah. spending New Year's Eve with someone, etc. Oh, the reason she dumped the turkey, we should say, is because her father... It's, it's Thanksgiving, isn't it's, it? It's Thanksgiving, and her father, who lives in London, um, is not coming to Thanksgiving, so she is now stranded with a turkey that no one wants, so she's giving it away. Um, as we'll say, she's Carrie Pilby, the character... Uh, has a sort of transatlantic accent, very transatlantic, because she was yeah. born in London and lives now in New York. Um, we'll it's come to that in the accent, point. actually, isn't it? Because uh, at first I thought, well, her accent's not very good. Yeah. And then I realised that's a pretty good accent, actually. Yeah. So the, the actress Belle Powley, who plays the yeah. the, uh, the eponymous Carrie Pilby, she is, I think, English, but can play American accents. So yeah. It makes a fairly decent fist of doing an American accent in other films. Um, so in this, she has really nailed the transatlantic accent. It's it, she it, has. it's it, really it, good. It, yeah. it twangs in and out. It is unfortunate that what she has nailed is, to my ear, a very annoying accent. I, <laughs> I, she she nailed it, but I hated it. <laughs> it was it was very unpleasant to listen to, and it didn't yeah. help. Um, so there's that. <laughs> it didn't help, did it? It didn't help, and oh god, it was like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that notwithstanding, you can't blame the actress for... Because I wondered, did, did they invent that because they thought the actress couldn't cope with the accent? Or did they, they was that just a thing? I think it was, may have been a feature of the book, but... Oh, I, I, I think it's a thing. I mean, I've, I'm aware of Belle Powley from a few other things, yeah. and um, we'll come on to this a bit later, but I think she's an exceptional actress. So yeah. I would be surprised if she couldn't cope with the accent. Yeah. And like I say, she she did nail the very annoying transatlantic yeah. accent to, to Dan Pat. But that was starting. So Carrie has been given a list of sort of normal people things to do, which is essentially the arc of the film. It's this this doing this list is yeah. is her kind of her route to happiness. Um, we should give us some background. Uh, Carrie again, she's prodigy who went to Harvard, I think, at 14. She sort of skipped three years of her, her secondary education. Um, her mother died at an early age. Her father is obviously very distant and um, mm. just supports her living alone in a flat in New York. So it's, it's, we've essentially got lonely person um, going no through... No social skills. No social skills. Yeah, limited um, social skills, going through a journey in New York. There's a, an early scene where she's in a cafe and she sees some uh, gentleman as she thinks is eyeing her up and goes into a long spiel about how whilst he's very attractive she's not very interested in him and all he wanted was a chair um yeah and it's that kind of thing yeah. it's that kind of social skills not not it's not kind of she can open doors <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's what i mean it's it's hollywood 
it's Hollywood um, young adult social skills type in, you know, yeah. view. It's yeah. not like autism. No. Um, although, again, I suppose Carrie, uh, Carrie Philby's quirks, in addition to, again, being exceptionally well read, is she does seem to want to live in a, a kinder, more refined age. She believes everybody is immoral and sex obsessed, and yeah. um, and you know she she believes wants to belong in the age of Catherine Hepburn and uh, J D Salinger and this sort of stuff. Where we um, so she wants to throw herself back away from the modern world as much as possible too. But she's not Rain Man. She's not Rain Man. No, oh, Rain Man would have written on a wall in uh, in chalk pen. Yeah, Did he know. draw things? I can't remember. What, no, he's good with numbers, isn't he? Good it? with numbers, that was it. <laughs> and and toothpicks. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yes. Um. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so <laughs> Carrie begins her adventures of doing things. Um, she, she her father gets her a job, um, which basically involves proofreading for a legal firm, whereby she meets um, some people, uh, which is almost kind of the beginnings of friendships. Yeah. Um, Would you describe these people as normal? No. But then, then, but they are normal in the sense of they are um, kind of they're kind of they're normal in a Hollywood quirky New York style, though, aren't they? It's it they're is archetype. Yeah, quirky it is New York characters. I did think someone had kind of scraped the casting couch of Friends and said, "Get me a, yeah. a get me a Ross type and yeah. get me a Phoebe type, and those are the types yeah. that she'll be friends with." Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there is that. I mean, what they what they they kind of they speak only in kind of quips or, or things they don't actually relate to Carrie but they, they want to befriend her anyway for reasons <laughs> yeah, these, beyond these, characters, these characters are in all American sitcoms that you've ever seen they're the, 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 the goofy best friends yeah, yeah. Um, so she, she gets a job where she meets some people she um, she starts having occasional encounters with her next door neighbour who is seen in who plays a didgeridoo he plays a didgeridoo not a euphemism um, <laughs> she catches him with his didgeridoo <laughs> in the alleyway um Playing on it for all his might, uh, <laughs> giving it his 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 full throated best, um, and they then she sort of she yells at him, and that's their first meet cute. Then, uh, like a few scenes later, she catches him on the the um the gangway outside a window, um, playing with some other instrument, I assume. <laughs> uh, and and they have a series of meetings um going on. And in addition to this, the sort of the other man in her life is uh, she she reads the, the the personal ads and finds someone who basically says I'm getting engaged but I'm not too sure about it who wants to go on a date with me which outrages Carrie to the extent she decides to go on a date with him and expose him to his fiance. Yeah. Um, but on this date she then turns out to actually be very attracted to him he's actually he's well read too he's been to a good college um, and they, they hit it off very nicely so she's now quite torn between the fact that she really likes this guy and the fact that he is engaged and technically cheating on um, his fiance with her uh, she also, part of this, gets a, a couple of fish, which naturally she names um, Spencer and Catherine Hepburn. Um, yes, does. Um, so she's she's getting through the list, isn't she? Yeah, she's doing this. One of the, one of the one of the, the the MacGuffins on the list is she has to read her favourite book, um, and this allows us to flash back to her time in Harvard. Is it Harvard? Yes, it is Harvard. Yes, it is Harvard. Uh, yeah, yeah. This, one, yeah. One of the Ivy Leagues. Um, flash back to her time in Harvard when she was essentially seduced by her English professor. Um, who then dumped her in a very cruel and arbitrary fashion yeah. right after she'd lent him her very favourite book of... I'm going to say... It's not Jodie and Stacey, is it? <laughs> no, what is it? Zoe and... It's Zoe and... This is top-level intellectual are... stuff. Well, actually, yeah, we are Philistines, <laughs> aren't we? It's, isn't it, is it by... Um... Jodie Salinger. I was going to say Catherine Cookson. <laughs> <laughs> Look... Okay. For all our Catherine Cookson fans, there's literally nothing wrong with Catherine Cookson. Okay, but that, but that, that, that typing you can hear um, on the thing is not me googling it, but I've just remembered that it's called Zoe and Franny. 
Um, oh, that's it. There yes. we go. Yeah, and it's it? like a it's like a first edition or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's a first edition of Zoe and Fran. This is this yeah. is was because she basically she it was an edition. It meant a lot to her. Her mother gave it to her before she died. Uh, she lent it to her professor as a, a means of bonding with him, and then he cruelly dumped her and didn't give her the book back. Yeah. Um, so that's why she can't take this off. This she can't read her favorite book because she doesn't have it. It did occur to me that. Your favourite book is just the words in the book, isn't it? You don't have to actually yeah. have the favourite book. Yeah. It's like yeah, it's not yeah. You surely could, you could read Zoe and Franny on a, on a, a Kindle. This didn't mean the favourite book, the yeah. actual book. You could get a Kindle with Zoe and Franny yeah. and still read it and jump in via audio book. There you go, even faster. You might um, have someone like Benedict Cumberbatch reading it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, if I knew any lines from Zoe and Franny, I would do my Benedict Cumberbatch impression of the Benedict Cumberbatch. Why don't you just do your Benedict Cumberbatch impression anyway? Zoe and Franny were <laughs> two little trees in the wood, <laughs> and they lived happily ever after. They're J.D. Salinger. See what that's. It's, it's got a touch of the Michael Yorks in there as well. Oh, Michael York. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just have one Anthony Hopkins going to Zerk? I will. I will. I will. I will. Damn you, sir! 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 Damn you, Freddy, sir! Damn you, sir! My wife Emma's just laughing in the other room. <laughs> That's something completely different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so right. uh, let, let's, let's get That's back to Karen Corbett. Greatest hits. <laughs> As we say, she doesn't have um, this MacGuffin of a book. Um, she doesn't have her. She first she um, so this this enables us to flash back at various intervals to the, the professor courting her and then seducing her and then dumping her. Um, but uh, it also allows us to again she it's probably the thing that scarred her the most. Actually, one thing that occurred to me through this film is it's not really the the tale of again a child prodigy. Actually, it's somebody who's been heartbroken and is trying to kind of you know find her heart again. Um, because. No. She, um, we'll come to exactly how she's portrayed as, as a prodigy, but in terms of, of this, this is the clinic that's scarring her. She, she considers, you know, um, sort of sexual morale, morality an important thing in her life, probably because she was, you know, heartbroken at such an early age, and this book is kind of the, the fulcrum around it revolves. Yeah, um, and, and, you know, given that she went to Harvard at the age of 14, um, and, you know, her professor seduced her, not at the age of 14, as we said, in her final year. So she would have been, what? She was 16. 16. She was 16. So. so we are still talking. I mean, it is effectively. It's incredibly uh, sleazy. It is, yes. And yeah, borderline criminal. And of course, the, the, it is. Uh, but but the, 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 the interesting thing is, is that when when we first see their introduction, it's in flashback. Yeah. And um, he's obviously first. It's the first time that they've, they've met. And it's. That implies that it must be quite early on in her time at Harvard. No, aha. So I no? think no, because he says English 303, and I'm guessing they oh, number the, they number the courses because it's 101 yeah. in the first year. So uh, this may be my ignorance of the American higher education system, but I suspect it goes up <laughs> like that. I, mean, I am glad of that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny how I guess she would have seen it in a flashback because when he comes on, he is portrayed in the, the very... Um, idealised way that I imagine a 60 year old girl would see their English professor he's got the big floppy scarf on he's got the floppy hair and he, he talks in this you know wonderfully florid things and he loves Franny and Zoe too and la 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 and, yeah. and you imagine that's yeah he's very he's very um, he's, he's quick isn't he he's very yeah. quick and very um very cool. Yeah, and again, interesting. Again, we'll, well, I'll dip back in and out of the book because um, Mrs. Mrs. Morgan has briefed me thoroughly on on what happened, what happened in the book, and uh, that she oh, read, yeah. she read she did the research for this more than I said it. Uh, he's he's a lot older and not nearly as kind of boy band charming in the book. Um, he's probably yeah. the kind of person that would prey on a sixteen year old college right. girl. 
I mean, not when you say the book, we're not talking about Zoe and Franny. We're not about Zoe and Franny we're by J.D. Salinger. Um, yeah, we're talking about the actual book, Carrie, which yeah, this was, this was is an adaptation of. Yeah. Yes, which again I'll, I'll dip into because there's some interesting comparisons there. But to, to crack on with the plot, yeah. um, what else happens? Uh, she receives a number of bombshells throughout the movie. Uh, her father then uh, was played by Gabriel Byrne. We don't we only hear his voice to start with, um, yeah. which you don't clock as enough, Gabriel yeah. Byrne because it's a very posh English accent he adopts. <laughs> It is, um, it's a weird, uh, yeah, it's unusual to hear Gabriel Byrne talk like that. Usually so, especially, I remember when he first made his break in America, um, he was, he basically, the problem they had with him was he was incomprehensible to them. His, his, his <laughs> Irish brogue was like, is he talking English? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess I loved early Gabriel Byrne, the kind of the, the whole um, usual suspects in, uh, yeah. in Villa's Crossing, yeah. Gabriel Byrne was yeah. great. Had, uh, had that character been in this movie, it might have uh, woken things up a bit. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's basically just um, the nice English dad. Um, he breaks the news that he can't come over for Christmas either because he's mm. getting married. This is the first he's ever mentioned of a new wife uh, or even her kids or anything. So it, it does hit Carrie like a ton of bricks. Um, As you would imagine. His yeah. excuse is that we, were, we, were gonna, I was, we weren't going to... I wasn't going to tell you over the phone. I was going to wait until you turned up in London. And, and then what? Yeah, he is, he is a bit of a soppy flannel. Um, he, he does spend most of his time like, oh, I'm sorry, darling. I, I assumed you wouldn't want to know about your new mother. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a lot of this kind of like oh I dare what what, what? And it's, he's um but yeah that that's <laughs> it's not who I'd immediately cast Gabriel Byrne as but I guess he he plays right. it it's uh, uh, I, I guess I, I suppose Colin Firth was busy <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but so so that's the first bombshell which I think launches her into going full tilt for uh I forget who's is it um I should really name some of these characters the the, the engaged man that she's sort of cheating on um I cannot oh um. I have Matt. to admit, I, can't, I cannot remember anything about any of the characters' names in the film. <laughs> his name is Matt. Uh, I remember that Matt. because, yes, because uh, I was actually mentioned the didgeridoo player's name is Cy, um, yes, Cy who is also an English actor doing an American accent. Not an awful one either. He was a. Oh, is, it, is he really? He was. A, I knew. I knew him from the uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. He was High King Peter. Um, and, and as I, in, and I, as in the High King, not like he liked walking and rambling. In no, he. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was in the High King of Tales of Narnia. <laughs> how dare you say he was the High King of all of Narnia? And the next I see him, he's in an alleyway with his didgeridoo. Yeah. You know how how, how they fall. But then, um, yeah, he does. A, he, you can tell he's doing an accent, but he does a decent fist of it. Um, yeah, he does. He does. And he, he, he doesn't get to, to express his action much because he he has no purpose other than to be genuinely nice all the time. Yeah. Um, he's yeah. he's just the one note well, of what a nice I, person he is. Yes, I mean, I would say he, he, absolutely he, he's nice all the time. It goes a bit further than that to say that he is, he is sickly sweet. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, no man exists like that. Any, any, any women listening, men do, like that do not exist. They do in Narnia. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, she, so she's now, she's gone to anyway, she hasn't gone to Sai, she's gone to Matt. Matt is the engaged man who they've been flirting around with, and she's basically launched herself at him because she's sort of heartbroken and distraught. Uh, and they're, they're about to, to get busy with things, as the, the young folks say, um, when she basically clocks a picture of his fiancé. Matt is a very poor adulterer. He basically invites her to his apartment where her fiancé's yes. pictures are littered all over the place with little notes and everything. It's like, it's a bit of a mood killer. Um, yeah, a little bit. And yeah. also, she, she, he, he explains that she's at a meeting at work. Yeah. Like, she's not gone away for the weekend, she's not... No, she's no, she, not was, she, was, she, was, she was in a different county, or she's a different uh, state. Oh, right. This, this well, meeting was not taking place here. Surely that would be a more appropriate thing to say. 
explicitly. That's true. We got a lot of information about that for no reason. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but also, she sees she sees a note that's misspelled, and I think his excuse is, "Yeah, she's really stupid." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, to which Carrie kind of clocks on that maybe this guy is not as respectful as he might be about his uh, his loving partners. Um, yeah. They 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 start to argue, but essentially, that what really kicks off is he just says, "You know, don't be a little child," which is kind of Carrie's trigger word because that's what a professor called her as well before he uh, dumped her. Yeah. So. Um, I that's think the that's, that. that's the end of that, yeah. Um, so yeah, you don't see him again. You don't see him again. In fact, in the, yeah, in the arc of you know um, of men in Carrie's life, he's kind of we had we had the really bad one, which was the professor. We had the guy who seemed nice and appropriate, but had something wrong with him, which is this Matt, and then turned out to be wrong. And then we have Sai, who uh, we kind of we can we drift towards in the end, um, but we'll come towards yeah. Sai in the end. Uh, I like the idea that you've described Matt as someone who seemed nice, but basically had something wrong with him. He put an advert in the paper. <laughs> saying that he wasn't sure whether he should marry his fiancée. Can I have a date with someone? Yes. Well, that, that seemed the bad thing. But then when she met him, he was educated, he was pleasant to her, they were seeing he was, you know, he was charming and all this kind of stuff, and then superficially nice enough that she liked him. Um, so was that, Ted Bundy. Was he? He was nice, superficially. <laughs> I, I didn't go to school with Ted Bundy, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> so Ted Bundy slash Matt is out of the picture. Um <laughs> But and then Carrie comes. I think one of her fish has died. Poor Catherine. I don't know. I was too old. I'll tell you something. window open. I'll tell you something. There is a website out there called Does the Dog Die, um, which if you're of a sensitive disposition towards dogs, um, as um, Mrs. Morgan is, um, mm. she'd rather check this website first if she's watching a movie with a dog in it to see if oh, the dog see, died. Yeah, that's it, a good idea. Does the dog die? And it doesn't matter what else happens in the movie. You know, it could be you know nuclear apocalypse. As long as the dog lives, um, which yeah. I just described Independence Day, of course, everyone dies, but the dog <laughs> leaps to freedom. Um, as opposed to say, um, I am legend. That's am that's, that's the yeah. ultimate dead doggy. The other Will Smith. The other oh the other Will Smith. The the, oh, the the book ending of Will Smith with a live dog and a dead dog. Um, <laughs> spoiler alerts for Independence Day and I am legend, by the way. <laughs> but um, <laughs> But yeah, that 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 gets um, Mrs. M like a gut punch watching that poor doggy in, in I Am Legend. And do you know what? I am the the proud owner of two goldfish. Well, actually, I'm the custodian. My sons own the fish, but I clean them and feed them and and love them. And, and what are they called? Hang on, let me guess. I would imagine that they're called something from the world of Warhammer. No, no, no. These fish are quite old. These they, they they've lived long and and fruitful lives. Um, the, oh, fruitful. Fruitful. Well, they don't. They're, well, I assume they they enjoy themselves. They poo like no one's <laughs> business. They nothing poos like a goldfish. Um, but the uh, the eldest one is called Tim, um, because. Tim. Yeah, immediately before I got him, I I told my my eldest son that I had a guinea pig when I was a child called Topsy. Um, and when he said can we have a guinea pig, I said no. And when he said can I have a goldfish, I thought that's easier than a guinea pig. I'll just say yes. And so he made the connection and called it Tim. Very good. And the youngest one was only about less than two years old when we got to the other goldfish. And so we asked him what he wanted to call it, and he said Fisher because he's a great fan of international chess in the 1970s. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say uh, a Robin Williams films. Uh, <laughs> Either one is equally absurd. Um, so yes, yeah. Tim and Fisher are the names of the fish. And from um, tiny fish, they have grown. We've had to retank them at least once um, wow. and and they, they're thriving I'm putting it down says I'm fine they've died in the heat but yeah. uh, they are they are as far as I'm aware alive and well and to see poor Catherine die so callously uh, that that upset me uh, that was a proper um, gut punch seeing the poor fish yeah, died. well um, she didn't really yeah she left the window open and it got cold and so therefore the fish died was that why I, I couldn't see well, a cause of yeah, death it, yeah she uh, well I don't know if that is the reason I'm not I'm no 
I'm no vet. Fiscatologist, I believe. But, yeah, that's it, yeah. But she walks through the door of her yeah, flat. She yeah. looks at the window, notices that she's she's left it open, and it's freezing outside. Then she looks to the fish, and one yeah. of them's died. That's oh, yeah, says... You, oh, you made the connection. I've, I've left the window open. It's really cold in here, and one of the fish has died. That's insane. It's a, otherwise, it's a freshwater fish. And yeah, yeah. And but, otherwise, they're used to the outside. Yeah, water. But, but otherwise, why is she so worried about the fact that she thinks she's killed it yeah yeah and fish die people die things die right that's the way she, she's a she's 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 quoting kierkegaard and, and hegel she should know that you know things die it might not be her fault yeah anyway so catherine for reasons possibly unknown but she blames herself has died so she yeah. returns spencer to the fish shop and goes to this old contraton where you can't return fish i mean i think the shop assistant's valid argument is you can't return fish because it might be you know might have a disease in it that would infect mm. the entire tank um but Carrie Pilby will have no truck with it. She runs the tank and flings in Spencer, uh, thereby contaminating the entire store's fish tank population. Um, so what we what we don't see, you know, two days later, is the poor fish shop owner scooping dead fish out of his tanks. Um, no, because, we don't see that because fishageddon has happened. But nonetheless, um, <laughs> it merely fish aside. It merely uh, reinforces Carrie's, Carrie's um, despair at the moment. She, you know, she, her father is getting married, hasn't told her, he's not coming for Christmas. Matt, who was outwardly evil, turns out to be inwardly evil at the same time. Um, she's never more alone. Her, even her fish have died and been given away. So uh, that's that with Carrie. I think, uh, where does it go from there? She, oh, then I think she goes for a walk with Sai. Lovely Sai. Um, they, yeah. they go for a Christmas Eve stroll. Yeah, it's Christmas Eve, isn't it? And, yeah. um, and uh, he, he kind of insists doesn't he, he um, this is this is the great yeah they go for a lovely walk and they they start comparing notes and they uh he lends her his coat and and they they, they he was apparently he was he's not just a, a random didgeridoo player he plays in the philharmonic um not the yeah. didgeridoo sadly he never actually says what he plays probably i think he mentions he like, plays everything doesn't he he's, yeah he's i think i think in the philharmonic you're only, you're only allowed one instrument though i don't think it's like a one-man band like uh, no. Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> i think you have to specialize if you're in the philharmonic <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he he plays he plays the posh instruments too, and clearly yeah. one of them is good enough to get him in the Philharmonic. Um, so he's but he's got a story as well, hasn't he? Because his parents didn't want him to do any, to be anything to do with music. Oh, that would explain why he's alone on Christmas Eve as well. Exactly. So he's yeah. like a he's a he's a he's a he's a lost soul as well. A bit yes. Like oh, that's true. Yes. Uh, put that where yeah, that spoiled that. Although there was one point when they hear music now, and he invites her to dance, and she says, "Oh, I can't," and he says, "You must," and he says, "I can't," he says, "I won't take no for an answer," and it's played charming. But I remember the last scene she had was her professor. Where basically yeah. he was forcing her to do something and wouldn't take no for an answer. It was horrible. Yeah. So I'm thinking, if you're on a date with a girl and your first date, I won't take no for an answer. Is not what you lead with. No, and it is also it's on the sidewalk. Yeah, it's not like it's in a club or in a, in an apartment. It's on the sidewalk. On a dance I floor. Yeah, exactly. And I say sidewalk because it's New York. I, you I noticed you'd, you'd 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 got your transatlantic twang because I told you I yeah. find it annoying. You're you're trying it on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, sidewalks aren't for dancing. Nonetheless, yeah, that's just as projecting. She seems to like it. They have a nice romantic dance, um, which which inspires her to immediately run off with his coat, um, which he gave permission to borrow, because she wants to get her book back. The Franny and Zoe must not lay another minute in the evil professor's grip. Mm. Um, so she calls him up, finds, speaks to his wife now. She, he's now married, and he, he basically goes, oh, "I'll find it in the uh, go away." Um, yeah. So that's that with that. I'm a bit busy at the moment, Carrie. I'll find it when I'm not busy, yeah. when I want to. Yeah, in fairness, it's, not... it, it's it's Christmas Eve and he's having a party, so there's that. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but yeah, you know, still, still, he he did give her a very unpleasant brush off, yes. Yeah. Um, but 
I think from that point on, Carrie is, it can can sink no lower. She's um, she's very upset, and she runs to confront Nathan Lane again. Oh no, she on on the process of this this journey, she has seen Nathan Lane um having an affair with a married woman too. So this completely shatters her her illusions yeah. of, of morality. Everyone is corrupt and tainted. Um, and I think that's when she runs to his house and confronts him on Christmas Day with all this stuff. Um. Uh, you know, saying you know, you you're 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 a hypocrite. Nothing won't be happy. This list is stupid. No one is out there. Is I've got nothing. I'm so alone. Um, you know, I I slept with my professor when I was 16. At which point, Gabriel Byrne's head pops under the door. Goes, you slept with your professor? <laughs> which was genuinely a funny moment. I thought yeah, that was, was yeah. genius. Yeah. Um, because he's now come all the way from London to be with her on Christmas. Um, without telling her. Without telling usual. her. As usual. Yes. He's, he's um. So they have a little walk in Central Park and a chat. Um, yeah. At which point he, learn, he learns of the, the Franny and Zoe um, book. They kind of bond, don't they? They kind of. They do have a little bond, yeah. It's one of those. It's one of those scenes where she she realizes that you know underneath it all he's trying to do his best, and he realizes that yeah he's not he's not been a great father to her, particularly since her mum's died. But you yeah. know maybe she also needs to cut him some slack. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, that's fair all around. Um, at which point then. Um, he, she tells about the, the missing book and he, he, he buckles his girth to go off and return this. So he just barges right into Professor Harrison. Yeah. Christmas, mean, Day, Harrison Christmas Day, Harrison. Um, yeah. They're having a soiree, yes. Um, yeah. And he basically becomes very English and says, oh, well, we'll, we'll find this book for you then, don't worry. And he wanders around the house. Um, I will say again, having some of Gabriel Burns' other performances in mind, if, uh, if Tommy Hagen from Miller's Crossing had been the character <laughs> to get that book back, it would have yes. gone much more interestingly. <laughs> It would have, yeah. Exactly. Um, but it's not. He basically pulls the book back and, oh, jolly good, and then he, he gives him a good old punch on the nose um, for, for good measure. And that's um, a, and it's one of the worst punches. It's a rubbish punch, but it, it, does, oh, I... it does break his nose, and it does actually lead up one of the good good punchlines of the film. Um, because the, earlier in the flashbacks, during his seduction of, of Carrie, um, he basically... Uh, he doesn't trick her to drinking wine. He makes a big fuss about, oh, this wine is delicious. Would you like to try some 16-year-old girl? And she drinks a sip, and he's like, oh, the wine brings out the colour in your lips. So she goes, oh, oh, that, she goes, oh that blood suits you. What blood? And blood on your lips. It brings out the colour. <laughs> Which was quite a nice callback in, in Poker's yeah, yeah. Um If only it wasn't spoiled by the pathetic punch. <laughs> yeah, it was not a good punch. <laughs> it's like how I would punch someone. I think I'd probably just batter them with my open hand. I wouldn't. I wouldn't risk a punch, <laughs> or drop a blunt object on them from afar. Yeah, that's. Yeah, why? Think... Why use your own fist when you could use a knife? <laughs> <laughs> well, a, knife, a knife isn't usually isn't a blunt object unless it's a butter knife. Um, oh yeah, yeah, a go. palette knife. Come at them with a butter knife. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is quite a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> you can tell. You can tell from the description of the synopsis and how much we are moving tangentially away from it. But perhaps, perhaps that will dictate our feelings about the film. <laughs> I think we give it a fair shake. Um, we are. So, book, book safely returned. Carrie can now read this. Um, I assume she reads it. She's a quick reader, and it gets ticked off the list pretty quickly. Um, but if it's a favorite yeah, book, you know what's happening. That she's, read, she's read 17 books in a week. Yeah, in fairness, I've read 17 books in a week, although most of them are the Mr. Men, um, so I'm not sure <laughs> if that counts. <laughs> Yeah, I can crack through three Mr. Men a night. That's easy. Yeah, it's easy enough, isn't it? Yeah. Especially the new ones, because they're, they're nowhere near as, as big. Yeah, or, or, <laughs> or, or, or frankly anyway, weird. Uh, the the yeah. old ones are just strange morality tales. The new ones actually have a plot. Yeah, they do, yeah. Although, I, well, interestingly, I was watching um, the uh, Mr. Men TV series on YouTube, trying to introduce it the to... The Arthur Lowe ones? Yeah, the Arthur Lowe oh. ones. And uh, I, I, watched, <laughs> I watched the Mr. Tickle episode, 
And it is incredibly sinister. Mr. Unwanted Sexual Assault, as we could call it. Yeah, he he goes to a he breaks into a school, (laughs) climbs up the side of the school building, reaches in the window and tickles all the children. Yeah, without their consent. (laughs) Without their consent, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 disturbing. Yeah, the the new ones are better. Well, I don't know about better. But, but also, yeah, the Arthur Lowe ones, we may have found them charming when we were children. Move, move it on. There's a new Mr. Men. It's punchier. It's uh, It's got a better yeah. catchphrase. Robin cried when he, <laughs> when he watched the old ones. <laughs> I mean, literally, he did. He didn't like the jittery, um, you know, cartoon um, animation. He, he did not like it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I, th- I think, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the nostalgia doesn't carry you across. No, it doesn't. Well, when you're two, you're not really interested in nostalgia, are you? You don't, you don't have nostalgia when you're two. Everything's immediate. Rara the noisy lion. That was where we anyway, started. Yeah, exactly. Um, but as we were, um, Carrie has now almost completed her list. Uh, what has she got to do? She goes to a New Year's Eve party with her work colleagues, who she's yeah. had the, kind of the briefest contact with, but um, she's befriended one of them. Um, yeah, they're like best friends now, aren't they? They're like the. Oh. <laughs> They are. So, this, is, so, this, is, this is interesting because, again, in the com- comparing to the novel, uh, Carrie actually had to do a lot more to become her friend. In this, she merely sort of t- turns up to the job and goes out to one nightclub with her, and they're all their best friends. She Carrie didn't actually do anything to be her best friend, or to 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 incite any kind of friendship. They just happened to be there, so you know, check. Um, yeah. And they were she, just in the same space. Yeah. Um, she then, I think, resolves. To, to go and see Sai because um, now New Year's Eve she can she can see yep. her beau uh, at which point she meets Sai's roommate um, who basically yeah. says Sai's gone Sai's left bye bye and closes the door um, I actually found this quite funny cause... I thought it was very funny yeah, and then... <laughs> yeah it's really creepy and he goes she's got what she's gone he's gone yeah yeah he's gone he left today he's gone yeah and, and, and then he's, he's, he's closing the door he's he goes, doing yeah. that yeah he's like well, you're, li- you're such a liar his roommate's a compulsive liar I will say this this entire movie is very um uh I don't know what the word is for favouring beautiful people, but all the good people are good looking, and all the bad people are weird looking. Yeah, they are. Because yeah. the, uh, the, his roommate is a bit of a gooner, um, yeah. and and uh, the guy at work is also slightly weird too. Yet all the uh, all you know, William Mosley is as perfectly turned out as a king of nine you could wish for, um, and, and, and things like that. But that notwithstanding, he uh, she she sees Sai um, own that they have a, a nice little cuddle on the on the the. The, the scaffold. What's the scaffold? There's a fire escape. Um, watching, fire, you know, watching the, the, yeah, the fire escape with the ladder. That thing. Thing, the thing so. with the ladder. Um, and again, he, he basically he's a greetings card full of beautiful sayings. He's like, I won't let you leave, Carrie Philby. I, <laughs> you're just yeah. perfect the way you are. And yeah. he and, and it actually closes with he asks for her middle name because that's been established as if someone knows your middle name, they truly care about you. Um, I mean, what we didn't realise then is that yeah. He absolutely did ask her what her middle name was, and then she replied, "We don't know what the answer was, or do we?" I forget. I see. I, I don't. I don't know her middle name, then, so I'm not never Carrie Pilby. As, as the cameras go down, he then describes how he's a white supremacist. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he remembers her middle name. Now. No, I thought he was identity theft and needed a middle name. His next question would be, "What's your What's your first pet's name?" Which is, of course, <laughs> Catherine the goldfish, and uh, and what's your date of birth? Yeah. <laughs> That's why he wants to know her middle name. Uh, and that, Hugh, is that. why you are the senior member of the Weekend at Zombies duo. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 on that on that we have concluded our recap of Carrie Pilby. Um, yeah, I mean that that went on a bit, didn't it? I, th- I think it, no, I think it was no longer than usual, but it went down a few alleyways that we're not usually expected to go down. 
It did, it did. But, you know, Carrie, Carrie Pilby, I was going to call it Karen, Karen Philby again there. Carrie Pilby has been watched. And um, when, when I, will, we... I will also add that um, I, I, watch, I watch Weekend at Crombie's film several times. So I, do, I put the groundwork and I watch it once yeah. to just experience the film. And I'll normally watch it again yes. to recap yeah. um, just before we have a recording. Yeah, and then um, look, at, look for different things a little bit, right? Yeah. But because yeah. this, again, we were supposed to record this uh, a week and a half ago because it was we delayed, I then had yeah. to watch it again to refresh my memory. So I've seen Carrie Pilby three times. Times now, oh, which no. I'm going to say is three times more than I ever thought I would see Carrie Pilby. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is dedication to the cause. <laughs> yeah, that really is dedication to the cause. No, you know, you 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 did well there. You did well there. Let's yeah. find out what we thought of Carrie Pilby in the, in the in the thematic analysis after this little jingle. <laughs> Welcome back, dear listener, as we will now uh, open the second layer of the onion that is Carrie Pilby as we look at some, um, well, first we'll decide why I chose it, and then we'll look at some thematic analysis. So, Well, let's crack on here. Why did you choose it? Why did I choose this? Well, uh, as we've mentioned, I didn't choose this. Uh, no. my, my good lady wife chose this. Um, I have been instructed to say that she chose this not because she thought it was an exceptional film that we must watch but she thought being an avid listener of Weekend at Crombie's she thought it was a film that was again very much unheard of uh, not hugely successful but was also so far outside my comfort zone yeah. <laughs> and my, my scope of films yeah. that I would never pick anything like this and in fairness it did save me from picking another 1980s <laughs> schlockfest or a World War 2 movie and so yeah. I, I do and, thank and, her for, for broadening my horizons I wanted them yeah, broadened also in, in fairness in fairness um, in fairness to Mrs M um, that is exactly the definition of Weekend at Crombie's. Yeah. You know, it, that's exactly it, some films we love and some films we don't love. And that's that's the point of Weekend at Crombie's to shine a light. I think the thing with Carrie Pilby is that um, it's it's not a film I'd heard of particularly. Um, I've, I've been vaguely aware of it. So um, it's certainly was an, it's an interesting choice and, and fits within the canon of Weekend at Crombie's perfectly. Indeed. So to, so that that was the only reason to, to, to broaden my horizons beyond even the scope of my imagination. Mm. Um, mm. So to begin with... He's right, though, isn't it? Because we do... I, you know, there, there comes a point where you can't, you can't keep choosing uh, war films or... <laughs> I, you know, you can't keep doing that, can you? I don't know. You, you've, you've yet to see the list of things I have yet to pick. <laughs> it's a yeah. cornucopia. Oh, blimey. Well, I do uh, quite like war films, so it's all good. Indeed. So, um, that said, so that's the reason it was picked. Uh, to, to crack into, again, things I liked about it, things I didn't, I, yeah. would, I would go right away with New York has never looked more beautiful than in this film. It is absolutely stunning. We, we mm. open on Central Park um, in, the, in the autumn. It's, it's golden and red and mm. orange colours. Uh, even Carrie's apparently dismal apartment, when, it, when it's shot you know, against the light of the huge windows, it looks glamorous. She goes to her job late at night, um, it's a night job, and everything's twinkling and, and light. It's a very picturesque new york there's, there's no yeah yeah it's it's, it's funny if it's not um the reverse of you know the holy grail when king arthur's knights are riding through acres of mud and covered in crap um <laughs> it's it's the reverse that there is no litter in the streets there is no there are no vagrants around there are no no one who is not very attractive unless they're there for comic relief it's a tourist it's an advert for new york isn't it it is yeah yeah it's just very much an advert for new york i mean it, it the, the, similar films like the sex in the city films do this as well with new york where it is it is it is extraordinarily beautiful. Yeah. You know, 
um, the other, or, or alternatively, something like Woody, Hall- Woody Allen's Manhattan, yeah. which is a very different film, but again, just represents New York in all of its glory, really. Yeah. It, it, it is, it is great. I mean, I'm not, I've never been to New York. Yeah. Um, but it's very nice. And you have been. I have, yes. It's Does very it look nice. like that? Uh, it does in the nice bits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, the, the first place I went to was uh, like um, an Airbnb where we were all staying, and uh, what we walked through was what I would have seen in the movies as a place where people normally get shot. It was it was a, it was a deserted basketball court <laughs> with with gangs of I'm sure they were lovely individuals, but they could easily have been carrying guns. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I wandered through with my little rucksack um, to find it. But yeah, they're very pleasant. Actually, yeah, New York. Um, it's a, it, it was in the springtime, and it was it was absolutely fantastic. And you know, Central Park um, can look certainly that nice. And if you're in the touristy bits, it can look very nice and touristy. Um, yeah. So, um, but I would say, you mentioned the two things you mentioned. I would say the difference between this is, it was a very gentle kind of, of, of a pretty. It was um, Sex and the City, I think, when it shows New York, there's lots of shots of, of glitz. There's not just, yeah, it's it's not just the vistas. They, they, there's you know, quick shots into kind of the drinks yeah. they're drinking and the jewels they're wearing, boom, boom, boom. And, kind of Woody Allen stuff is very very grand you you have the long sweeping vistas across yeah. the skyscrapers and it's it's the the um, it is just you know you imagine the um the rhapsody in blue blaring out as you go through the, yeah. the things yeah. this is very much oh that's nice gosh isn't that nice <laughs> it's more personal isn't it but still yeah. but still maintains that yeah. uh, clarity and that 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 beauty I think yeah yeah and I'll probably say um yeah it's 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 not inappropriate, partly because it's a, quite a gentle film, also because it's probably how Carrie views it. Carrie has a very idealised mm. view of, of the city she lives in. You know, she thinks London is filthy and immoral, which you know, she, yeah. may, she may not be wrong about, but it's yeah. probably no worse than New York. But she 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 likes where she is and she hates where she anywhere she, that isn't this her own little bubble. Um, yeah, but she, she also hates she also hates London because that's where her mum died and she's got bad memories. Exactly. Of so, yeah, it's all the New York is New York is away from all of that. Yeah. Um, so again, that. That was it. I think in terms of how it was presented, again, this um, thematically, I guess it wouldn't call it a rom-com. It's much more of a kind of coming of age. Um, yeah, it's a build. It's a build. What is it called? Builders Roman, which yeah. is like a, uh, yeah, that, that kind of that that um, emergence of the emergence of her as a rounded being, as a as a as a human being, as someone who's able to find her place and way in the world yeah. from inauspicious beginnings. I mean yeah. when when I talk when I say inauspicious, I don't mean financially inauspicious or, or, or inauspicious in terms of her opportunities, but certainly inauspicious in terms of how she views the world. Yeah. I'm gonna make some some jumping back and forth between her and yeah. the book. I know we don't normally judge on adaptations, but it's useful to get the contrast because this was adapt this was a quite a very popular book of its time and was adapted very quickly, it's like shot in twenty days or something. It was it was a quick turnaround. Oh, was it really? Yeah, um which I think again might, might explain some things of it. But yeah. um it's again, she's portrayed as being again child prodigy, she's you know, super intelligent. But to me, that's not because in you know, any romantic or building woman, it's you know the person overcoming their, their their setbacks or learning to love themselves or learning to open their heart. Um, her intelligence or, or you know the fact she was catapulted forward isn't really a thing. It's I'd say her her you know the the, the albatross around her neck is this seduction and heartbreak when she was very yeah. young and she can't let yeah. go of it and again the distance with her father and all this kind of stuff building around it. That's what she carries. And that's what she has to overcome. Her intelligence yes, I, yeah, is, is, is neither here nor there. 
no, really, right. it's it's put us it's thrown in there as almost like as um, again a superpower. Was, I was thinking about you know these movies that feature you know young female protagonists. They they have something special about them that's almost indeterminate. It's 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 yeah. just they're special because they're special, um, yeah. not because of they they do or be anything special. And that's but, how yeah. Carrie Pilby came across. I would say rather cruelly, she came across to me in the writing as what you'd say a dumb person's idea of a smart person is. Um, yeah, she, I, totally, yeah. I totally completely agree with you. Um, I, I agree with you with the, within the context of um, the the intelligence aspect of the film, in the sense that I, really that that had no bearing on yeah. on that had no bearing on the plot necessarily. Um, and I also don't think her age had anything to do really to do with the bearing. No, of the I, plot. she could have been she could have been a twenty three or twenty four year old who had had a, a really unpleasant romantic liaison with a professor at Harvard. Yeah. Wouldn't have made any difference. And again, she didn't really come across as nineteen either. Again, it's it's, it's no. context is everything. But you know, we see someone who looks is a grown up actress. I imagine yeah. um, Belle Powley is older yeah. than nineteen you know, when she played it. Early thirties. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she looked that way as she was going through alone in the city of the north. So you probably thought this is someone who can handle themselves and is not a, a child living on her own or yeah. just been a child. Um, but again, with the intelligence, you know, it's funny how again that. that Joke I made at the start saying that thing about Kierkegaard and, and yeah. Hegel. Um, that was what she threw across. She did say she was quoting from something else, um, so she's like she's making a joke within a joke. But even so, if I had to Google what would a smart person say, I'd yeah, probably come up yeah. with that rather than what an actual clever person would say. If they sort of had a mind that was was you know years ahead of their, of their own generation yeah. and then had gone through Harvard, so even more turbocharged. Um, and interesting, I think this is much more carried across in the novel. Is um, she she you know she's sort of hypersensitive to everything she she's she you know her mind is is bombarded with things to think about and that's actually why she isolates herself the um and that's more interesting much more interesting yeah um again there's scenes actually in the book where she'll just go go to her room and crawl under her bedclothes and and put under the duvet because she's got to shut the world out because it's so loud there's none of that she just looks a bit sad in her apartment because she's a bit heartbroken there's there's a scene early on um sorry sorry, go on there's a scene early on um which i think is meant to establish the character which is basically very rude to a waiter he he makes pleasant chit chat saying, "Oh, you still buy DVDs?" And she goes, "And I've never had to sprawl halfway through a movie," um, which just makes yeah. come across as someone who's a bit rude and has an issue around broadband. When in fact, again, the internal narrative of the book is she couldn't handle a conversation about her DVD. She just wanted to have it in a bag and not discuss it, and yeah. it was too much. And you don't get any of that from that. You just no, you don't. She comes. Ac- I mean, it's the script, isn't it? She comes yeah. across as, uh, as you say, rude. She comes across as arrogant. She yeah. comes across as intellectually snobbish. Yes. Um, yeah. And and quite. I wouldn't go as far as to say unpleasant necessarily, but she's a character that's hard to root for. It's, not, yeah, it's, it's not a very charming performance. Um, I, I don't think, again, you've said you've seen Ben Powley and Belle Powley and other stuff and, and she's been yeah. good. I don't think she was given the tools to come no, across well in this. Um, I don't think it's her at all, actually. Yeah. I think I think with what she's given, she does the best that she can with it. And she is actually, um, I think she does, you know, well enough. She's, she's, it's a good performance from her. Yeah. But I just think that the script is really not, it, it's not engaging. It doesn't. It's not thought-provoking. It's yeah. it's it's num. It's by the numbers basically, and yeah. it tries to get made to be in a lot of instances and situations yes. without really exploring what actually is happening. So there are a lot of really ridiculous situations in the film, which could be played for laughs a little bit, but which kind of aren't really. In oh the yeah, I, I kept yeah. expecting there to be laughs and yeah. with, with things in it, and I thought with well, this because um, again to just 
pick a few examples. The one sort of laugh out loud moment I had was when she confessed she'd with her with the professor and Gable Byrne pops his head around. And yeah. I thought that's going to lead to, you know, at least, you know, 30 seconds of a nice scene because you set it up, boom, boom, off we go. And yeah. it wasn't. It was just played as, oh, let's go for a walk and talk. Yeah, um, and the same with the guy opening the door and telling, telling, the, telling her that size left. Yeah. That made me laugh. And I thought, well, that's good. Why... why why wasn't that character in it more? Yeah, but things like the time you see him. Yeah, and there were things like in when she's returning the fish. It's it's kind of played as a is a bit of zaniness. But I was just thinking, what if these things were merged? What if by some contrivance she's returning the fish at the same time she's shouting at Nathan Lane and her father pops up and hears she's and all yeah. of a sudden you've got three or four people having different priorities all happening in the same scene, um, yeah. which that's inherently funny. Um, and not that it has to be a laugh out loud moment, but there are moments that already okay. exist in the show that or the, the film that. Yeah. Uh, that could work together and they don't they, 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 it's very episodic and very step by step by step uh, and that's the structure of the script again yeah. isn't it I mean and that's the principle there yeah and uh, there's things like and she's, she's talking to her father early on um, when uh, she's basically he, she's saying you can get a job I don't want a job because well you, we need to get some money you know you could get a roommate and then you'd think that moment would be then smash yeah. cut to her getting a job but yeah. actually it's not it's like she then spends 30 seconds going okay I'll get a job then and it's like it tails off and you're thinking yeah. there's a moment there when you could quite easily cement this character and yeah. get a funny moment out of it but uh, uh, you, you're right. so that, that's that's one route you could go down the other route that you could go down is a much more serious route where her the exploration of of what is quite clearly her depression yeah is explored in more detail and how she reacts to and relates to that and how she struggles through that process i mean fundamentally when you think about her story she is a young person a young woman in particular who has been left by her father whose mother has died in new york by herself who is seeing a psychiatrist that is a recipe for what might be quite an interesting young adult movie about things like loneliness isolation and depression whereas actually how it's played is a kind of kooky quirky approach to her empowerment as an intellectual individual but that it also comes with kind of baggage as it were but it doesn't really do any of that in the end it yeah. forms in the gaps <laughs> that's exactly right yes i think i believe the book is more philosophical in that way and you've, yeah. what you've outlined then yeah, is a very good structure for that the, the, the psychiatry scenes yeah aren't very much to them other than giving the list and 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 playing back and forth again nathan lane who again is a very funny actor He's mm. given nothing to work with in terms of humour. He's yeah, merely there yeah. to be kind and listening and, and very, you know, avuncular, but nothing to, to fire back with. Um, and again, because because the psychiatry scenes are neither taken seriously nor nor comedically. Yeah. It, they, they're, they're neither nor. So he, he comes across as it's because, I mean, the Nathan Lane character is no it knows her father and has agreed to um, provide her with therapy. It was actually it would have it might have been more interesting if they didn't know each other and it was a genuine th um uh psychiatric uh, uh, kind of therapeutic process yeah Still, i mean don't, you know what we want here is a different movie right That's, <laughs> well i think what we want here was the book um translated yeah, the, the book seems to have, they, the, the movie seems to have, yeah, yeah. the it book seems like to more interesting um, yes because i think it's, it's again things that, that don't happen in the book the the fish thing doesn't exist um the the entire franny and zoe book thing doesn't exist as the oh, really? and it's, it's, it's the things that don't exist are the things that are put in the movie to leap it forward like almost every i think the uh, the father does come over for christmas there isn't another woman he's marrying um so mm. all the moments that the movie throws in there to just jump to the next moment in the plot 
aren't there. It's much more, and it's much more about again her own mind and her own dealing with things. Size that's, is that's very that's very very difficult to translate on film, though, isn't it? Well, here's that the thing: internal monologue. Yes, and that's what I thought this felt really needed was the voiceover. Um, yeah. you need to hear Carrie Philby's voice talking over the film, or even get her looking aside to the the camera and doing that kind of stuff because. It, she, 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 she can't express herself but we need to hear her we need to hear a lot of Carrie Philby in her own head and I think and in the book actually she breaks the fourth wall at the end actually talks to the reader um, really. but it felt like well they, I don't know why they wouldn't have done that because again they had a good actress and they had a character yeah. who desperately needed to express things that she couldn't vocalise and, 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 and probably needed to express it, things that it, in public that she couldn't vocalise either yeah yeah and I was going to say it's, it's very rare hmm. it's very rare for a film to benefit from a voiceover that's this it. might be one of those. Well, that said, again, this is not a movie, but there's, a, again, a successful TV show, Fleabag, from, again, just recently a few oh, years. One of Emma's favourite in... uh, shows, actually. My wife, Emma. One of her favourite <laughs> shows. So I'm yeah. forgetting, we're not, just, you know, we're not just having a conversation. <laughs> this, is, this is being listened to by yeah. millions. Well, I guess in Fleabag, it's very good. And indeed, the character does frequently break the fourth wall and directs and, and talk talks to the, the camera yeah, a lot. And it works yeah. very well. Um, and... It felt like there's a moment in, in the plot towards the end when Carrie Philby gives a Christmas prayer to God, which felt so contrived. It's, it's basically what you yeah. do when you need the character to talk about their feelings, but they have no one to talk yeah. to. She basically talks to a God she doesn't believe in, um, throwing in all the stuff like, look after the poor and the sick first, la la la, and here's actually what I feel. Um, yeah. And it feels very contrived and really would have just been better with a voiceover because that's what she's really trying to say is what's inside her heart. Yeah, um, yeah I completely agree. Or, or, or just a more serious scene. Yeah, you know, because it, 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 she's she's eating. I don't know whether she's eating ice cream at the time or she's just put book down. Or I can't can't remember exactly. But there was something insincere about the film. I I, I felt something something problematic about it, which was or hypocritical even in many ways. In, in the sense that, um, you know, her her intellectualism is considered in it to be a bit of a a chain or a constraint. But in the end, she's interested in people who exhibit the same type of um, kind of hyper intellectualism, i.e. the Matt character, who she's very, very, very keen to expose. But when she finds out that actually he's he's perhaps an intellectual equal is, oh, well, actually, maybe that's okay. And the Psy character who, you know, I bet if he was a bin man. There wouldn't have been that conversation. There. It's the fact that he has this this talent, as it were. OK, he's charming as well. Don't yeah, get me wrong. Yeah. But th- there's that element of it. And so she's she's viewing the world through her own hypocrite, uh, um, her own um, kind of hypocritical eye, eye, uh, viewpoint, as it were. And I, I found that a bit kind of challenging, really. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into it in the sense that it was it was. In, intended to be quite light and fluffy, I felt, maybe to engage people in a light and fluffy way, but it it found it a little bit sinister is the wrong word, but um, I found it a bit uncomfortable, a bit a bit confused. Yeah, yeah. I think interestingly, again, to hark back to the book, the waiter whom she's rude to at the start is a much mm. bigger character in the book, and uh, she is initially initially dismissive of him, and actually learns to befriend him. Not because she actually thinks he's not intellectual and this kind of not on her level, but she realizes he's a genuine person who has something to offer and befriends him on that level. So there's there's things in there. Again, to come to, I guess this again this follows the structure as I can best understand it of a romantic film is you, you have the various, um, I guess yeah the the one I could compare it most to is sort of Picture Perfect. 
Okay, I've not seen that. Yeah, well, <laughs> Weekend at Grumbly's <laughs> Next Man. It's a Jennifer yeah. Aniston one, and it, it's a it's a by the numbers. Um, yeah, it's a by the numbers one. But basically, she has two love interests uh, going through. The one is played by Kevin Bacon, who is um, again a nice, attractive man. They sleep, they get together, um, but is essentially wrong for her. And then there's mm. the other. Um, Played by a far less um, well-known actor, who is basically like Sai. He's just um, unconditionally nice to her, whom mm. she initially dismisses, and then realizes she's the one for her. And it's, it feels like it follows this pattern. You are you're presented with the guy who could be a fit, but is essentially something wrong with him. And then there's the other guy who's just lovely, and you'll end up with him. You might think he's a bit bland or uninteresting to start with, but by mm. the end of it, you'll you'll think he's great. And indeed. It, it follows that pattern because again, Matt has a bit of spark to him. I mean, he's cheating on his his, his fiance, but there's an edge to him, at least in, in, in that regard. And he's 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 compatible with with Carrie in many ways. Sai is just nice. He's he's yeah. he's softly spoken always. He never loses his temper. He may say the wrong thing because she get actually he does say some quite insensitive things when he just randomly says, you know, you look a bit uptight. I think well, you yeah. you don't say it to strangers. That's very rude. But yeah. um, he was, it was yeah, it was portrayed as a as a just a chill guy talking to her. Um, and again, he, he just, you know, they, they cozy up together with no real, they have one walk together, but essentially he's just unconditionally nice. And it appears that, again, that's very much the trend in movies too. I'm thinking of things like, um, uh, say, Twilight, when you have the, the lead female who is not so much bland, but very much a cipher for, the, for, for people watching yes. it. They fit into yeah. it because they have no absolutely sharp edges of their own. So you can put yourself in that position and then the other characters around them will just fall for them without yeah. any particular explanation yeah. as to why they just do um, whereas the very best romantic comedies are films where both protagonists have flaws yeah but get together never nevertheless so i'm thinking of films like when harry met sally yeah which is a which is you know a brilliant film that, or, yeah, that, that is very much like you know the citizen kane of rom-coms it's a hard yeah, it's a hard yeah. it's a high, high bar to follow it is a high bar to follow and you know not every film's not every film's when harry met sally but it's that whole it's that whole they both irritate each other yeah and that's inherently funny i don't think uh, i don't think carrie pilby is a romantic comedy it's no. not a comedy film i think it's a ro- I, it for me it's a it's a it's quite simply a coming-of-age story um and it's a young adult movie you know it's, it's a yeah. teen movie effectively yeah um in this in, in that way what it can't do is delve too deeply into the highs and lows yeah. of the story it's trying to tell and it, it maybe maybe hugh the, the fact of the matter is, is that i'm not its target audience yeah and that, so that, can't, can't engage with it that was actually one thing i took is is how to sort of fairly judge a film yeah. that i cannot engage with because that doesn't yeah. mean it's a bad film it just means it, no. I'm, I'm totally unable to to engage with it and actually I was what was I thinking I was thinking I, I, was, I was discussing this with Mrs M and it's basically you know though any any person can understand what it's like to be lonely or to be um, to be on their own or to be heart, yeah. heartbroken I have no experience of being a teenage girl um, no, exactly. on their own or heartbroken no. or, or lovely or anything like that so I can't really because I, I, I was viewing it the way I was discussing it I wasn't accessing that kind of reaction to it exactly um, yeah and you, you, as, you're right when you watch films that are, are patently not 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 your you're not the target audience for yeah. it what you end up doing is analyzing it critically yeah yeah that's all you can do it's yeah. in, in the same way that you know I'm not going to watch Thomas the Tank Engine um a f- a film or the trolls film and get as much out of it mind you i, I do like moana so yeah <laughs> moana's moana is different moana is a class above um, it is it is but you know what i mean though you, you're yeah. not you're not gonna you know you just you get you're not gonna take things you can't take things in the way that they're maybe supposed to be presented in that regard no um, it's the same thing like twilight i can't really i can't say i'm 
keen on Twilight. However, I do appreciate that it's an incredibly popular yeah. franchise of films and works for a lot of people. I don't yeah. really like Game of Thrones. It's not for me. I get why people like it. I just can't engage in it, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. With... Romantic comedies or romance films. No, for that reason alone, I'm glad we looked at this movie because it, it, it's. Yeah. I find it very interesting to, to put my brain on a different level. Yeah. Because again, I think we we certainly let some films slide. Um, <laughs> I won't mention too late the hero because yeah. we just inherently like what's going on there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and that's true. So we we lower our critical faculties because it's inherently a film we want to like, right? Yeah, and do like, and therefore you're not picking yeah, yeah. away at it and, and taking a step yeah. back. Because I was I was trying to work out what if. Um, he was a dude. What if it was gender flipped? I try to do that when I'm when I'm trying to engage yeah. it. And actually, if this had been a reclusive guy who was desperately over intellectualized, um, going you know meeting random females, it yeah. would be it would, I don't know. It would just be very different. It would be a whole different kettle of fish. It just doesn't work as well. It, um, I, yeah, I can't I can't even the imagine Hugh Morgan it. years. The Hugh Morgan years. <laughs> 1995 to 1999. Here's here's why I couldn't couldn't agree with it. The idea of you know being alone at Christmas was you know with just hours and hours of peace to amuse yourself. I love that's that. That's yeah, that's I, that's I know. This, yeah, I was thinking this this is idyllic. I know. It's like what did you do? I read 17 books in a week. It's like oh really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say a couple of things I did like about the film though. So. Um, I uh, and maybe maybe you're not as keen as I am, but I thought Belle Powley's performance was very good. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought that she balanced what she was required to do very well. Yeah. I think that the character that was written of Carrie Pilby was not a sympathetic character. Oh God, there's a and, horrible moment in the uh, yeah sorry when, she, when she's yeah. uh, trying to order a drink underage and her friend is just going, you can just lie about your age and it's okay, they'll serve you. Yeah. And she's going, you know, I can't lie. And she goes, can I show yeah. you my IQ instead? And she starts lecturing the barman on the properties of alcohol on the brain. Yeah. And you just think, it's oh, cringe, isn't it's it? Horrid. It just makes yeah. him the worst cringe-wood. possible character. Again, yeah. delivered as best she can, but yeah. there's no way of it's saying those lines without without sounding like a complete tosser. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the thing is, this is the this is the main character of the film that you're supposed to root for. Yeah. And the, I'm going on from things I like to things I don't like. I turned the junction switches, yeah. and you're, you're back on the normal track. The, the, the problem with it, though, is that the, the character as presented is not supposed to be unlikable. Yeah. And and that is fundamentally the problem. You are supposed to root for, care for, engage with. Um, absorb her feelings and thoughts whereas actually you're right I just thought what a pretentious snob yeah um, and that's not a good place to be when the person is supposed to be likable yeah. or kooky or quirky you know um, but nevertheless I thought Belle Pally was good in it um, in, in that regard there was one thing that I thought this is going to be really good but then turned out not to be quite as good so um, when we first meet the uh, Professor Harrison um, it's in a flashback situation and it's basically at the point at which the Nathan Lane psychiatrist character is talking to Carrie Pilby and they're having a conversation about um, the favourite books and this kind of stuff as well. It's the first time that we see Professor Harrington and the, co- the conversation is, you know, it's around the table. There are other students there. He's, you know, being very, um, I suppose he's being very kind of uh, uh, um, deliberately controversial in his views about books. I think he says something like the novel is dead, you know, all this kind of stuff, basically. And they're asked to kind of react to it. And in my head, I was thinking, th- this is a comedy scene, isn't it? So this is made up. This is her idealised version of what a man should be. It's one of those things where, you know, it's it's her imagining a situation where she falls deeply in love with someone. Okay. You know, 
he's on her intellectual level he's a professor um he loves um the books that she loves etc this is and i thought okay if this is going to be a recurring motif through the film i can kind of get with this a little bit because it's it's going to it's going to get more and more ridiculous it's going to get more and more kind of um you know more and more absurd more and more over the top etc and actually it turned out it was real <laughs> it turned out that that was actually intended to be the start of that particular storyline yeah. so what what went from what i thought was going to be quite a nice and funny absurdity you know the the, the ridiculousness of this ideal image of this individual turned out to be the actual image of the person and her relationship and that that for me was the that was that was the tipping point for me from going with the flow and being and, and and putting my critical faculties into play do you know what i mean yeah i was willing to go with it up until that point and by that point i thought well if this is going to be real then it's it's probably not for me yeah i'll tell you something else too i was disappointed with the turkey um i i <laughs> the scene opens with again her walking around with a great big blanket around it yeah. an, an uncooked turkey which she, she dumps to announce that thanksgiving's over I think if you've got your lead actor walking around the streets of New York with an enormous uncooked turkey, mm. and you can't get any comedy moment out of that, yeah, you, make more of that. That, that. I mean, that should have been comedy getting caught yeah. in sliding doors yeah. and leaving it on the bus. Yeah. That yeah. would make me instantly like the character a whole yeah. lot more. Um, and if they essentially dumped this completely ravaged turkey on Nathan's yeah. desk without explanation, because she, she actually sets that verse saying Thanksgiving's over, and therefore I won't need this, and she leaves it there, and it's quite. It wasn't presented like she's doing your shopping, but if she, yeah. if, you know. I think I think that, right. that was, it, it's one of those. It's, it's it's an example again of when she bursts into the psychiatrist Nathan Lane's room and puts the turkey on the table. That's supposed to be the funny bit. Yeah. But it isn't. The funny bit should have been her dropping the turkey, falling over, it going down a drain, it being smashed by a car, and then her taking it. Yeah, and it's it's funny. I, I thought back on um again what you consider to be not not the best of her films, which is Nuns on the Run, and actually yeah. bumped up in its points because. As we observed, it doesn't waste anything. It's a very yeah, basic, does, yeah. simple no story, leather, is but, but it, it packs every single scene with as many yeah. gags as it can yeah. do. And yeah. this film, again, we mentioned it, it was made and shot in a very quick turnover. Um, I felt like it was just going through the motions. It, it, if someone was given the book to adapt, they picked out what seemed like the, the simplest story. They added bits that made it dramatic, like the goldfish and the, the father getting married and the book being stolen as a MacGuffin. Mm. And they just shot that. And they did it in yeah. 20 days. And it seemed like it got a limited release, whether it just couldn't get a big release or whether they did it so they could say they've done a cinema film and then sold it to Netflix. Yeah, um, yeah. But it, it did, very did feel like... I guess it just felt like it was lazy, and it seemed to be yeah. the book was quite popular and quite beloved, and it feels a bit sad that people who, I guess, really engaged with the book when it was written got such a kind of by-the-numbers adaptation. Well, the book has an interesting history as well, though, doesn't it? Because it was first written in 2003 yeah, yeah. As, a, um, as, an, as an adult novel. Yeah. Um, I don't mean adult novel. <laughs> I don't mean like a Mills and Boone type novel, but I mean as a, a novel for adults, basically, um, and had a bit of attraction to it. And then it was quickly withdrawn from circulation, translated into French and republished in 2009 as a young adult novel. Ah, okay. um, and that's what the film is based on. That is interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it might be that that young adult novel has been chopped around a little bit, structured differently, um, and that, that you might find that that's the case. And if, effectively, it, in 2003, it was trying to 
um, it was it was kind of riding the crest of the chiclet rage yeah. at the time, effectively. And when that died down a little bit, and a lot of the kind of those novels were taken a little bit more seriously and had a little bit more kind of, um, kind of cultural intellectualism put within them as well, it was then withdrawn from circulation and repackaged and remarketed. Which, which is the new the new Vogue as well. How interesting. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And to, to me, Carrie Pilby is much more on that young adult type. Yeah, yeah, very much. Than the kind of Sex in the City chick lit type package if yeah. that makes sense yeah that makes sense so that's maybe where the kind of the challenge is it has a bit of an identity crisis and it, it might be trying to hop back to the first incarnation of the book whilst maintaining a view that this is going to be a rites of passage novel for young adults oh, sorry for for teenagers or young, young adults and so it doesn't it doesn't quite do it for either of them yeah in that context how interesting mm. okay any, any any further observations to make? Well, in, uh, the only thing I was going to say in, t- in terms of um, I thought Nathan Lane was, he was actually in fairness the film is well acted. Yeah, yeah, there's, it, not, there's not it, a bad film. It's, it's well acted. It seems to have um, you know quite high production values. It's not it's not cheap. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a lot in it. All of the actors, even the side character, who's a bit of a, a you know wet flannel, really, it is well acted. Yeah, um, yeah. The whole film is well acted, so I can't really complain about that. It's 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 directed. It's nuts and bolts, but it's directed well. Um, there's a lot there's there's a lot in there that could be really good. Yeah. Um, I think actually, one thing I did like in Nathan Lane's office, I'd noted that all of the books were ordered by descending size uh, <laughs> in, in, on the shelves, which I, f- I found quite satisfying um, in, in a way. So that, that, that was, that's a bonus. That was a good thing. Um, so is, is, the other thing I also wanted to mention was other films that you might want to watch. Yes. So um, the, the, the reason why I know Belle, Belle Pat Powell is as, as, a, as a character actor, really, I mean, she, she's done um, uh, TV programs in, in, in the UK. So she was in Benidorm for a while, which had... Um, Johnny Vegas in it, um, uh, which is which was quite well regarded actually, the yeah. comedy basically, and Steve Pemberton as well of um, okay. the League of Gentlemen fame was in that. Um, but I know her mainly from a film called The Diary of a Teenage Girl, yeah. um, which is if if you're looking for a rites of passage or a coming of age film, which has a bit of edge, which absolutely does nail the difficulties of what it must be like merging from you know i can't speak for myself but merging from a child to a woman and what that means in terms of the kind of sexual awakening that you have it is a very very good film it uh, it's an exceptional film in fact and bill powley is literally brilliant in it she's brilliant in it it's a challenging role as well she has to give herself to the film it's a really really difficult role to play don't get me wrong it's it's a i would call it a comedy drama yeah um and but it is a very very good film it's got kirsten wig in it as well as her okay. mother um and peter sarsgaard oh, uh, right. as the, the the older man interest but you know and particularly a recommendation for mrs m if she's interested in something a little bit different in terms of romantic comedies I or comedy girl. dramas yeah, the diary of a teenage girl is is exceptionally good. Was Peter Sarsgaard the one in um, that other one? <laughs> I'm so gonna... Peter Sarsgaard is the guy who played Tarzan in the recent incarnation of Tarzan, I think. Or I might be. Yeah. Are you confusing with Alexander Sarsgaard? Uh, maybe I am. Who's yeah. the guy that played it? It. Uh, I don't know, but I do know who played Tarzan, and that was Alexander Skarsgård, uh, who's in Vampire Fiction. Um, so then that is Alexander Skarsgård. He's he's the very tall one with uh, blonde yes, hair and yeah, killer abs. Very, yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, very different Peter Skarsgård, who resembles Ed Balls. Um, 
who uh, oh yes of he's, course, a, yes, he's, he's a professional he's a professional dancer who was formerly a politician yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ed Ball's not Peter Sarsgaard so he yeah, Peter Sarsgaard uh, was also in An Education that um, oh, Carrie yes. Mulligan was kind of launched her career from oh that's what I was going to oh, yes, well. yes, that's yes, another that's kind of coming of age drama that's got a bit more edge to it um, it is not Peter Sarsgaard it is Alexander Sarsgaard as opposed to Bill Sarsgaard who plays Pennywise in It that's true, but Peter Sarsgaard was in Education. Alexander Sarsgaard was in Your Thing, A Diary of a Teenage Girl, and it was nothing to be seen. So who's the older guy? Who's the older Sarsgaard? The older Sarsgaard. Oh, I mean the, the original Sarsgaard. Um, who's in Thor? That's Is it Sigurd Sarsgaard? No. No. He's not in Thor. He's in uh, the Diary of a Caribbean. He might be in Thor, actually. They all are. Um, Anthony Hopkins is in, uh, is in Thor. Would you like to hear an accent of him? <laughs> I think we've already done that. A Sarsgaard is in Thor. I, uh, yes, there's there's Sarsgaard's all over. Is he in Thor? What's he in Thor? Hang on, there is a Sarsgaard. Stellan Sarsgaard. Stellan Sarsgaard. Of it. course, he's Doctor Svelg. He's not just in yeah. Thor. He's in loads of things. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. He's, the, he's their um, father, he... I think. In Thor? <laughs> no, no. He's either a father or an uncle of Peter, Alexander, and Bill Sarsgaard. The they Sarsgaard. Said, well, they spell their names. Like the they spell they spell their names. They spell they spell their name differently. Um, Peter Sarsgaard. Peter Sarsgaard has yeah. more A's in his name, and Stellan Sarsgaard has that little circle above one of the A's. So I, I know there there are some loins from which Sarsgaards have sprung from the original <laughs> Stellan Sarsgaard. Possibly not all of them, though. No. Well, there we go. I suppose go. You know, people can have the same surname. <laughs> could could, I mean, could, we, could we end this podcast without saying the word Sarsgaard again? Because I think we've, we, we might hit a limit and there's probably like some kind of royalties we have to pay if we say that name anymore. Uh, however, that was, so An Education was one of my recommendations. Another recommendation I had um, is a bit more offbeat. It's um, a couple of films from Whit Stillman, who was kind of... Oh, a, I like Whit Stillman. Like, yeah, so, so Metropolitan is a good film. Yeah. As I was going to say, I would recommend Metropolitan. Yes. <laughs> Metropolitan and probably on a less level, The Last Days of Disco. Oh, okay. I've not be- seen The Last Days of Disco. It's not as good as Metropolitan. Um, yes. and it's, it's very poor disco, but it's the same idea of sort of um, people in their young 20s, late teens yes. speaking. They're not particularly pleasant, though, are they? They're not, but they pontificate on morality a lot, a lot yes. like Carrie Pilby does. Um, yes. And that's what kind of struck me as in, if you like Carrie Pilby, maybe you'll like this kind of stuff too, because they, they speak in a very. Um, grandiose kind of a very literary way um, and they, okay. they, they do regard the morals and moral, morals of society in a way that I certainly never did when I was 19 and... that's a very good recommendation Metropolitan is a is a much underseen film that should be ex- explored by all and sundry it's an excellent film I like it a lot yeah, I like it's good. have you seen Damsel, Damsels in Distress as well no I've seen Which... Metropolitan Barcelona and The Last Days of Disco I've not seen okay. any beyond that ah, so I would recommend Damsels in Distress as well with okay. Greta Gerwig it's very good is she ready to Skarsgård? And she might be. Greta Gerwig Skarsgård. Skarsgård, Greta Skarsgård, Gerwig Skarsgård. As I believe her full name is. So those are the recommendations. I think yeah. um, if we don't it have any more... It feels as though we've exhausted Carrie Pilby. Uh, yes. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I think she, as Carrie Pilby takes a break and a cherry soda um, to recover, we will, we will have a short jingle and be back with the scores. Oh, yeah. Carrie Welcome back once more, dear listener. Yet you've made it. You've made it to the final, the final countdown of Carrie Pilby. Little musical interlude. If you can do his uh, Anthony Hopkins impressions, I can do my Europe impressions as well. So let's, let's, let's have the scores and let's hope it's not a bitter Pilby to swallow. 
<laughs> so do I go first? I yeah, I forget. I forget. As Tristan takes, we forget. I think it's me, so okay, I can't right. skew the scores. That's fine. Okay, uh, so you should tell us. Tell us. It, again, it was a tough one, because it was a film I had to sort of get my head around and saying, if I did like this kind of film, is this a good example of a film I like? Oh. And... I don't think it is. I think, mm. despite, I mean, the performances are good. The direction is, you know, in some places, very lovely to look at. Yeah. But I think it, it, it for for a ninety-minute film, it's ponderous, and I think that's not the same as being contemplative. I think there are contrivances there that don't particularly work, and I think it's a bit wasteful of the opportunities of the actors of the the material it had. And I think. Uh, again, even Mrs. M, who gave it a rewatch, was certainly aware of its shortcomings on the second viewing. Um, uh, so I don't think it holds up, and I think I'm giving it two floating crombie heads because of that. Yeah, okay. So two floating crombie heads from Hugh. Um, I, I mean, I don't disagree with anything that you've said there, actually. Um, I think that I've I found the film frustrating more than anything else, um, just on the basis that there's I think there's a good film in this. Yeah. Um, if, it, if it took some different detours and went down a different path i think that this could have been a very thought-provoking um moving and humorous film unfortunately when it had the opportunity to take those detours it went down the the the, the alternative path which was neither particularly funny or particularly dramatic nevertheless as you have rightly said it's uh the ensemble cast led by bell pally i think do a good job um i think that the script lets them down but that shouldn't detract, detract from the fact that they they are clearly putting a shift in um and you know that that definitely helps um although it I, I, although it was short film it, it it did it it did it almost outstayed its welcome but it was still a short film which which is <laughs> which is which has you know which and some films you know some films go on forever um nowadays so i think i'm going to give it to disembodied crombie heads as well um it it, for me, it's not a one-star film no. because it doesn't have that, A, either moral repugnancy that I can't bear in some films that make terrible decisions, or B, it didn't make me crawl into my skin with acute embarrassment like something like Newsies did. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> so on that basis, you know, it's not it's not a terrible film. It's just a bit of a wasted opportunity. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. So close the book on Carrie Philby. Aggregate score of four floating crombie heads there. Mm, four floating crombie heads. But Always good to talk about films that we've not seen, though, isn't it? Indeed. Um, but what are we going to talk about uh, next month? And I understand that there may be a twist in the selection of next month's film as well. Well, can you have a twist that is effectively the same twist as the previous month's? Yes, month? it's, a, it's a merry summer of misrule here. <laughs> OK, then. Well, in homage to Mrs M's... Um, uh, accosting of the weekend at Crombie's <laughs> policy um, <laughs> uh, and the fact that I mentioned to to Mrs E um, that, 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 that the film hadn't been chosen by Hugh Morgan then obviously she piped up and said well alright then I'm going to choose the next film and despite the fact that she doesn't actually listen to the podcast but is foisting her opinion on uh, of, of her films on us um, I'm going to choose a film that my lovely wife has picked. Um, and again, it is, in fact, a romantic comedy. Um, there's something something perhaps to be said about letting your wives choose films in the sense that they will choose a romantic comedy, but there you go. Um, and the film that we're going to be watching is The Tall Guy. Uh, oh, The Tall Guy. The Tall Guy. Jeff Goldblum, Emma Thompson, and Rowan Atkinson. I tell you um, what. 19- 
the the tall guy might be one of my picks. Um, I uh, so oh, I, I look I look forward to it. The tall guy, yes. Um, so that will be our choice for season two, episode eight. Hopefully, it won't be quite as hot um, then. <laughs> but it will, be, really it will be mid August. It will be mid August, so you know, fingers crossed. It could be, couldn't it? Um, but on that note, um, I will uh, bid you adieu, and I will wish you all a very merry weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. I also like the fact that throughout this podcast, you've been calling the film Carrie Philby. <laughs> have I? Yeah, you have. I thought I'd, I thought I'd nailed it. Oh, you've been calling it Carrie Philby. It's brilliant. <laughs> okay, you I'm look just... back. Maybe not every single time, but I would say eight out of ten times you call it Carrie Philby. Damn you, Dr. Evans. <laughs> <laughs>